Hey everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello. Uh, Welcome to episode 22 of the podcast. Today we will be talking about the new, this third name right in our series, um, El Shaddai. And this is from a God moment between Abram and, uh, and God, right? (laughs) And then, um, and then that's where God changes his name, makes him a promise, all these things. And um, it's really neat. When I got to digging in uh, the last couple of days, I just thought I saw some really cool things that I had never seen before in, in a certain way. So we will get into that. I wanted to tell you um, this really isn't important, but it is because if you're listening, um, then you know all kind of details about my life. So you should know this too. I am pregnant (laughs) with our third little baby and I am 18 weeks pregnant. Just everything's going great. We uh, wait a while to announce our babies ever since we lost the baby, right? That I have shared about before. That was our set, my second pregnancy ever since then. So with Abby, I waited until 20 weeks this time. I wanted to wait till 20 weeks, but 17 weeks and my stomach was really showing and I didn't have any more loose things to wear. And so I thought, well, we'll just go ahead. And so, so yeah, so I don't know if it's a boy or girl yet. I will wait until the anatomy scan. So 20 weeks, uh, we're supposed to be out of town for that. So I had to schedule it at like 22 weeks. Um, I guess that's evangelist life, right? But anyway, so that's all I wanted to share. I'll also just tell you, I almost didn't release a podcast this week. Um, it's just been a really difficult week for my family. Um, I'll just ask you, just pray for my family. Not me, Taylor, or the kids. Yeah, pray for us, but pray for for my extended family. We need peace, right? Peace that passes understanding when things don't make sense. God knows how to just come close. And so I ask you, when you get down to pray, if you think of, of me or if you scroll past a, a picture of me or something on, on Instagram, one of my posts, if you would just stop and take a moment and pray for my family. Um, peace that passes understanding and, um, and healing. So that's all I will ask. I almost didn't share with you or ask you for prayer, but I also feel like I never want you to think that everything is always perfect. You know, how easy is it to portray, um, in, you know, social media type of things, that life is perfect and wonderful and sunshiny all the time. That's not life. There are wonderful moments, but there are also moments of grief and of pain and of hurting. And and so, yeah, I, I shared with you something exciting and something wonderful that's happening in my life. But also this week has been full of tears and, and things like that. And so, and so, yeah, so that's all. I hope that wasn't too much to ask of you, but I appreciate your prayers so much. And appreciate your support um, and the podcast and all that. So anyways, we'll go ahead and just get started. 
today. Um, you know, last week we talked about Hagar. And uh, today's story actually involves a same character, right? Um, last week I actually told you about how I didn't like the part that he played. But today uh, we'll continue. We'll go to chapter 17, uh, where God reveals himself in a new way to Abram and actually changes his name. Um, The fulfillment of a a 25-year promise begins in this chapter 2, and I think that you'll really enjoy it. It is more um, factual, I guess, this week, or Eh, uh, scriptural, I guess. It's not as much based on emotion as I was with Hagar. I feel so invested in her story. I don't know what it is about her. Her story just moves me. And so this is a little different this week. Um, I'm mainly going verse to verse, but I hope that you enjoy it. And there's some really neat things that I saw as I studied this. El Shaddai, right? When we read in scripture, it doesn't actually say El Shaddai unless you're using a certain translation. Most translations don't say that. They say God Almighty. And you'll see that as we go. Uh, Last week, Hagar gave God a new name, right? But this week is different in that God comes and speaks to Abram and tells him another new name. God says, this is who I am. And in an attempt, right, to reveal himself more to Abram. Another attribute of uh, who our God is and what he is to us. Just listen and you will see. First, I want to talk about this name. Before we get into the story or anything like that, what does it mean? Uh, where's the words that it comes from and all that? So this I actually... Um, the, the meat of this little descriptions that I'm showing you, of course, I got online. I believe Blue Letter Bible, I've been using that a lot with these Hebrew words and uh, breaking them down. It has helped me. It's uh, blueletterbible.org. It's a great website. It also has that, um, is that word concordance? Uh, let me look that up. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it has a concordance um, all in it. And so I can click on, it breaks each verse down. I can type in a verse like here. I typed in Genesis, uh, 17 and one, and it breaks down the scripture, like basically phrase by phrase or word by word. And then it has like a little, uh, a little link that you can click to that word. And so of course, when I got to this one, I looked up I clicked on the Shaddai, right, little word. It showed me all the instances and all the instances where it said El Shaddai also. Um, so we'll get to that. It's really neat, especially for me. I've never really dug into the word like this um, until doing this podcast because if you don't have to tell someone else, you don't have to feel like you don't feel like you have to know all the stuff, which I don't know all the stuff. So bear with me, but you know what I mean? So telling someone has actually helped me to dig in even more than I would have already. But anyway, so this name, El Shaddai, right? It means the all-sufficient one. It's usually translated in our English Bibles as God Almighty, the Almighty, or Almighty God. It really depends on your translation. The exact root word, though, for Shaddai is really not known. There are several different, I see four, four different root words that they say it might have come from. And I'm going to share them all with you because why not? I have read so much 
to like compile all this stuff for this week. It takes a lot of, of digging and, and searching and opening this book and that book and all that. But if there's any any references that I have actually used, you know, some things you read it and you get nothing. So any reference that I've actually used in any of these to know him episodes are in the episode notes. So if you're curious, um, go look at that. There's a list of books from last week and all that. So you can go look at that and see what I've used, where I've found some of these things, if it wasn't just right in the word. And so um, the first word that they think uh, Shaddai might have come from is the Hebrew word dai, D-A-I, meaning sheds forth, pours out, or to heap benefits. This suggests provision, sustenance, and blessing. So that would say that God is the all-sufficient, all-bountiful God, right? Another word they think it might have come from, it basically just scholars and smart people, whatever, uh, they have different things. They kind of argue over what is the exact root word? And I think really what happened is all these root words have kind of, they've combined them to mean this collective word. So the next root word is the Hebrew word shad, meaning breast. Um, it occurs 24 times in the Old Testament as Shaddai. And um, that would actually be to signify the God who nourishes, supplies, and satisfies. Uh, that combined with the word L, and then it becomes one mighty to nourish, satisfy, and supply. Um, and then there's another one, right? The Hebrew root word shadad means to overpower or to destroy. That would suggest a God with absolute power, right? All these things that it's suggesting, these different root words, all of them are true about our God, right? What can he not do? Um, this very last one is actually not a Hebrew word. It's an Akkadian word, sedu, meaning mountain. Um, and that is where they say that it would just suggest God's great strength. Whatever it is and whatever it, the root word would be, we know that this almighty God, our almighty God, is the all-sufficient one, right? He is all-powerful, all these things. And that word, though, Shaddai, is pretty commonly used in the Old Testament. It's used like uh, 48 times. It shows up in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Ruth, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Joel. And something really funny, so when I was doing the concordance deal and looking at all the instances where even just Shaddai was used, on the very bottom, the last one listed, it said, you know, because these are like shortened versions of the, the book. It said Joe, and it said like a chapter and a verse. And I'm like, Joe, the book of Joe. And I just giggled and giggled because I'm like, what is this book? And um, how dumb. I don't know. Well, so I'm like thinking, I'm even thinking into the New Testament. What is the book of Joe? And then I click on it and it says, Joel. So why would they shorten, this is my opinion, why would they shorten a four-letter word to three letters? It made me feel really dumb, but I could not for the life of me figure out, what is the book of Joe, you know? And I just stopped and stared until I finally clicked on it, 
and then I felt really dumb. So anyways, uh, the combination though, El Shaddai is used seven times only in the Old Testament. And I'll talk about that at the very end. Why only in the Old Testament? Uh, The first time we'll talk about later, talking about Abraham, but the second time it's used, it's used by Isaac. So what is so significant about that? The reason it's significant is because God revealed himself as El Shaddai to Abraham, Isaac's father, showing us that this term, this attribute of God was taught by Abraham to his son Isaac. And then the scripture where it's used the second time where I'm talking, where I'm referring, Isaac actually uses it when speaking to his son, Jacob, in Genesis 28 and 3. That's so cool to me. So it's such a lesson though, like it's so important to pass truth, to pass a love of God to our children. If you don't have children yet, just File that in the back of your mind. (laughs) You know, passing down truth, it doesn't just affect your children, but living for God has an effect on generations and generations. And we see that there where God revealed himself to Abraham in this certain way, the almighty one, the all-sufficient one. And Abraham tells Isaac, and then Isaac tells Jacob, because God didn't reveal himself like that personally to Isaac. Because, But because of Abraham's testimony, Jacob got to know it too. So cool to me. You know, if Jesus tarries, I don't just want my prayer, I guess. My prayer is that not just my children, but my children's children to know my stories, to know my encounters with God and my transformation to truth. I never want there to be there to be a generation that it comes from me and Taylor that doesn't know our God, that doesn't know how personal He is, that doesn't know how mighty He is, and all those things. And it's just so important. You know, all through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, even Deuteronomy, there are moments where children, where Scripture will say, tell your children, or when your children ask. It was so imperative then and now to God that children were informed and involved. I refuse to let my kid, you know, sit on a pew in church and and play a video game or something or watch something, whatever, and not be involved in the service. That's not to say I have a perfect kid, right? He's only four. So there are a lot of things he does not understand, but there are moments where he can understand. There are moments when people are praying at the altar, kids maybe lining the altar, and I say, Ezra, let's go pray. They're they're seeking the Holy Ghost and he'll go and he'll lay hands and or when when a song's, you know, on and, and I know he knows the song, I'm like, We're gonna worship and not only at church, but at home, at home and in the car and all those things like It's so important that we don't just ignore our children until we think they're old enough. But if we start when they're young, it can just be something that they know to be true. And so that's important. It was important then, and it's important now. And that's how Jacob, right, got to know God in that way. The third, actually the third um, El Shaddai experience. We will get to Abraham, I promise, but this one is so cool. And it does involve Jacob. It's when, uh, so basically, you know that moment where Jacob is about to go meet Esau and he had just left Laban's, right? With all the flocks and all of his, all of his wives, <laughs> he had like four wives and all of his children, well, two wives and uh, two of their maidservants that he had children with, but still lots of kids, lots of women, all this stuff. Well, um, he goes there 
right before he meets Esau and he wrestles with um, the angel or whatever. And that's when he's told his name is changed, but his name still doesn't, he's never referred to as Israel in that moment. Well, later on, God tells him, go back to where you wrestled with me, where, where you wrestled with the angel, go back to that place. And so he goes. Rachel actually dies on the way there. But when he gets there, when he gets to Canaan, it is so cool. Okay, so this experience is Jacob's El Shaddai experience. It results in a name change and a promise. Remember this. It's so cool. So the conversation between God and Jacob is this Genesis 35, um, 10 through 12. If you want to go read it, it's really cool. Um, It says this, and God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Just remember, God had already told him, I will change your name to Israel. Your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel, but nothing changed, right? And so in this moment, God comes and he says this, And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And this is the cool part. Verse 11, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. God Almighty there. Translate to El Shaddai. So what happens when when we see him as El Shaddai? What happens when we get that revelation that he is a sustainer, he is all-sufficient, he is almighty? A name change. And then God says this, Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins in the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac. To thee I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And so you may not understand why this is so cool, but this is after Abraham's encounter, obviously, like right two generations after. You'll understand as we go along, you'll see the correlation, but... Uh, getting to Abram, Abraham, Abram, to give you perspective where we are starting out. I kind of jumped all over the place. I was just in Genesis 35 with Jacob. I am going back now to the very first instance of God coming and saying, I am El Shaddai. And this is chapter 17. Last week we were in chapter 16. This week we are in chapter 17. But what what you'll see is this, this instance of God coming to Abram that I'm going to share is the first time in 13 years that God had spoken to him. You know, sometimes we read in the, in the Bible and, you know, it's like one chapter later, one chapter later, I mean, he just had Ishmael, but if we're not paying attention, if we're not really looking, I've never noticed it before that it was so much longer, even though it's only one chapter later, it's so much time has passed. And I, um, Abraham still doesn't have this promised son that he was told he would have 13 years since God had even spoken to him that we have recorded. And don't you think he had some questions? I can easily see how Abram could have really been doubting those old promises Maybe even thinking that he had messed up beyond repair when he had Ishmael, when he did it his way. So Genesis 17 and 1, we'll start there. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, so 99, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, El Shaddai. 
walk before me and be thou perfect. So here we are. It's important, right? His age. That's how we find out when things happened. It had been 13 years since God had spoken to him last, but it had been 25 years since the initial promise, a promise that he would soon find out was worth the wait. And we will talk about that. So that first promise came in Genesis 12, if you want to go back and and study it and read it out. So God appears to him and says, I am the almighty God or El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So here God introduces himself, but really he's making a declaration about who he is. One that Abraham would pass from generation to generation, like we talked about earlier. As you listen, know this, your walk with God is significant. Your God moments are important and you have the choice, the ability to pass down the ways that God has shown himself to you. And it's so important. We've talked before about journaling, about taking notes, and that's why we that's why we do it. Obviously, for us as a remembrance to us, but what a testimony to those come in after us to have those written words, those experiences written on paper. And I really need to do better at it, honestly. You know, um, regarding this, this is really cool about how God revealed Himself to him. I read this in um, on theenduringword.com. It was a commentary. I thought it was so good, and I just wanted to share it. It said it better than I could. It was like what I was thinking, kind of, but I didn't word it this way, so I'm going to share what they said. And I quote, After the proclamation of his name, El Shaddai, God then told Abram what was expected of him. It was first revelation, opening his eyes, right? And then expectation. This communicates the principle that we can only do what God expects of us when we know who he is and we know it in a full, personal, and real way, end quote. So it's revelation and then expectation. Maybe that's another reason why we're doing this series. As we know him, we can more meet his expectations as we know him more and more than we can give of ourselves to him more and more, devote ourselves to him more and more. I want to read um, that first verse in the Amplified to break it down though, because walk before me and be thou perfect sounds pretty impossible. And what does it actually mean, right? So it says this, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk habitually before me with integrity, knowing that you are always in my presence and be blameless and complete in obedience to me. Habitually just means by habit. So basically God's saying, Abram, I expect you to walk with me daily. And then it breaks down how with integrity, that's how you're supposed to walk with him with integrity. This is to us too. So he could be saying, Cindy, if you want my promises, if you want covenant with me, walk with me daily with integrity. And it says this, knowing that you are always in my presence. We act a lot different when we're mindful that God is close right? If we could just remember that every single moment of every single day of every single season, God is close and he is with us. Walk knowing that he's there. Basically, God is drawing this line and saying, okay, your new knowledge that I am the almighty God, the all sufficient one should cause you to act differently moving forward. Abraham, or Abram at this point, is one that had made many mistakes. We talked about one of them, a big one, last week, right? But then God states that the promise is contingent on this fact. Abraham must follow 
wholeheartedly after God. And then there's verse two, and I will make, this is still God speaking, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. This is a repetition of the promise that was 25 years ago. God is reminding Abraham that he hasn't forgotten his original words and he hasn't changed his mind. Verse 3, Abraham, Abram sorry, falls on his face as God's speaking to him when he's in the presence of God. What a reminder to us that that episode one, at his feet posture, we should take it in God's presence. Verse four and five, God continues his promise. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Verse five, neither shall thy name anymore. So your name's not going to be anymore called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Up until this point, God hadn't promised anything new, right? I told you, it was just earlier, it was just a continuation, a reminder like, hey, God's like, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forgot your promise. I'm still here. I'm still going to do it. But this new covenant, this promise, verses four and five, is a change. In verse uh, in Genesis, verse tw- in Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abram to leave his country. This is a long time ago, 25 years ago. God says, leave your country and your father's house and start a new journey. Abram takes a wife and verse two says it specifically like this. This is Genesis 12 verse two, the original promise. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. I'm going to read part of that again to make sure that you hear it. I will make of thee a great nation, singular. This new covenant, 25 years later, when Abram hadn't even seen the first one come to pass, is that Abram would be the father of many nations, plural. So what I see here is that the weight between the first promise and the fulfillment of the promise was worth it. Not only did the promise come to pass, the initial promise, but God made the promise even greater. And because of that, a name change was necessary. Abram, this old name, uh, meaned exalted father, would be changed to Abraham, meaning father of multitudes. In the wait, God chose to change his identity, change his name, change the way he was seen and change his future, his lineage forever. Throughout this actually chapter, God says, I think twice, an everlasting covenant with Abraham's people. Incredible. Because of the wait. Waiting doesn't feel good. We've talked about it so many times and we hate to wait. And Abraham hated to wait. He was a horrible waiter. He messed up in waiting, but he didn't turn away from God. And because of that, Even with a mess up, the wait was worth it. And the wait multiplied the promise. And God had a plan all along. God knew what he was going to do all along. If you are waiting, trust God in your waiting. Verse 7. This is God still speaking to Abraham. Now, Abraham. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed forever. What's incredible about this verse is that its fulfillment is seen in Genesis 35 in that Jacob encounter. Remember, I'll establish my covenant. It says this, I'll establish my covenant between me and you 
and your seed. So in everyone that comes after you. And it says for an everlasting covenant. Last week I talked about instances where God kept a promise for David's sake. Right? And so this week we see that God kept this covenant for Abraham's sake. Two generations later. God is still keeping His promise. That's so incredible to me. So powerful. God keeps His promises. (laughs) I will say it week after week because it's in every story. God makes a promise and He comes through whether it looks like the person that was promised thought it was going to look or not. This is 25 years later. And actually, at the end of it, it says that Isaac would be born within the year. So it's almost 26 years later that the promise is actually fulfilled. Incredible. Back to chapter 17. And Abraham, though, uh, God also promises that Canaan would belong to his family for generations. The verse actually says, for an everlasting possession. So this is just side note, but all the turmoil, right, in Israel and surrounding Israel, I won't even begin to act like I even know half of it all. But what I do know is this, the ancient area of Canaan was huge. Uh, today, so Canaan then and, and what's present present day, you know, uh, is all of Israel, the West Bank, uh, Gaza, Jordan, and even the southern portions of Syria and Lebanon. That was Canaan. That's a big area. God promised them this. Uh, God follows the promise, though, with the rules. So he's made two promises, right? Like, I'll be your, I'll be your people, your lineage. I will be their God, and I'll be with them. The second is Canaan will be their home, will be theirs for everlasting possession. It will be their possession. And so really doesn't matter what anyone else says when God says it. It's what's true and it's what will come to pass because his promises never fail. His promises never die. And we see that in the story and we will see that in real life. God follows the promise for rules of the covenant. Um, We already heard this, right? It was number one, that Abraham had to basically live for the Lord, live his life for the Lord. And now too, is that all of Abraham's descendants and anyone who stays in his home, so servants too, anyone, it's a, any servant that he paid for with his money or something had to be circumcised. That was part of the covenant. It was part of the deal. Uh, verse 15, we see that God's promise in name change. And this is really cool wasn't only for Abram, now Abraham, but was for um, Sarai, but was for Sarai too. So last week when I talked about Sarah, and in the past when I talked about Sarah, I addressed her by her new name, but really in the past scriptures that I've talked about, her name was Sarai. Verse 15 says this, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. God changed her name too because she was a part of the promise. She was a part of the covenant and God saw her too. And I think God wanted her to know, hey, I do see you. Remember uh, last chapter, actually verse uh, chapter 16, she says, God has basically stopped me from having children. You know, God made you this promise, uh, Abram, but God has stopped me having children. So maybe it's going to come another way because the promise was to you, but it wasn't to me. And so God says this, Hey, I see you, Sarai. (laughs) So Sarai means princess. 
and one one letter of a change. It was literally the last letter of her name is I, and it changes to Sarah. Different pronunciation, different name, add an H. God wanted her to know that the promise was for her too. Sarah means princess. I can't actually find a clear answer to the name change there, but I do know that it was significant. There was significance in the name change or God wouldn't have done it. So I can't find a great answer there. And so many different people are like, we know it means more. It was like an elevation for her. It was in the same way that God changed Abram to Abraham, you know, not exalted father, but to father of a multitude of nations or father of a multitude. It's the same thing. It was an elevation of her name saying, you will be more after this. Isn't that what a name change does? In every instance in our Bible, it's an expectation that they will be more after this change that there's more and there's greater. And we'll talk about that name change in a minute. So um, verse 16, and I will bless her and give her a son, give you a son also of her. Yes, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations kings of people shall be of her. Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? That's, he's talking about himself. And shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? She's been barren for 90 years. Like, do you think something's going to change God? You know, I feel like sometimes it's easier to believe God's power on a larger scale. He believed God that he'd be a father of many nations somehow. He believed God for the name change, right? He, When he talks right there, he calls Sarai. He calls her Sarah. He listened to that part. But I think that it is easier to believe God in his power and his promises on a larger scale, on the big things. Even sometimes even uh, for other people than it is to believe God's power to fulfill a single promise to us. Maybe it's because when it's for us as the individual, we know all the details, we know all the obstacles, but once again, there is nothing too hard for our God. He is the all-sufficient one, the almighty God. Nothing is too hard for him. Verse 18, and Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Isn't this Abraham still showing his unbelief even after God had visited him in this specific way? It literally in the beginning of it says, the Lord appeared to him. Like he is looking at God. It's crazy. So uh, God says, verse 19, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. This is another instance we talked last week about God giving names. So this time God gives Isaac his name and scripture continues. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, an everlasting promise, right? And with his seed after him, verse 20, and as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he have, and I will make of him a great nation. 21. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So God did keep the promise of Abraham, any of your seed, they will, they will be a nation. You know, any of your seed will be blessed, all these things. But God's covenant, God's promise happened through what's right. We cannot do things our way and expect God to bless it. 
We have to play by his rules. We have to do things his way. When he says it, it's for a reason. Verse 22. And he left off talking with him and God went up from Abraham. This this verse is followed by verses stating that the very same day, Abraham was circumcised along with Ishmael and all the males of Abraham's house. What I love about that is that that very same day, he didn't wait. Abraham didn't wait. He didn't need to consider. God said it and he did it. What an encounter. The biggest thing to me is that in all the reading and all the studying and all the everything today is that when people encountered God as El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the almighty God, that both instances included a name change. Actually changing the nature in the future of a person by meeting him in this way, him revealing himself to them in this way. We talked about the name change of Abraham, but I'll remind you that Jacob meant deceiver. And he truly lived out that name all of his life leading to this point. But God changed his name to Israel. God prevails is what that means. When God comes to us, a name change, not only a name change, but a new identity. Don't you know this to be true? I do. We truly can be changed with just one encounter with God. When I told Taylor uh, what I saw when reading today about the name change for both Abraham and, and Israel, when El Shaddai met them in such a mighty way, he told me to see if it was the name that uh, Saul was shown in his conversion and and when he was changed to Paul in the New Testament. And so I told him, I said, no, I said, El Shaddai was only used in the Old Testament and it was only used seven times. And I already looked at all those instances. God only appeared to two people and said, I am El Shaddai. He said, you know, that's right. He said, because in the New Testament, he reveals himself to everyone as Jesus which is a whole nother episode in itself, but that's how we can see him today as, as El Shaddai, as El Roi, as Elohim, all these things, whatever we need him to be, he is because he was all these things or he is all these things wrapped in one. And I think the biggest thing in, in seeing God in this way, the all sufficient one with all resources and and all blessings and everything that we need, sufficient, able to, uh, you know, make promises and keep them, able to do whatever we need, that we remember our own insufficiencies. So I'll just pray real quick. God, today, help us as a listener. Help us as we try to follow you and know you more. Remind us in the coming days. Remind us of our insufficiencies that we would give room for your all-sufficient power and might that you know all, you see all, you have all, you can pour out blessings, you can, you know, uh, supply needs, but also you are sufficient. You are able to keep every promise. Remind us, God, when we forget that where we are insufficient, that you are enough. Sufficient at its root means enough. You are enough. Whatever we face, whatever we go through, God, you are enough. We love you. We thank you, Jesus, for showing yourself to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you reveal yourself to us in everyday moments. Bless the listener in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I'll just say thank you for listening. I can't think of the one for next week. I'll tell you next week. Talk to you next time.